Creating great products isn't just about product managers and their day-to-day interactions with developers. It's about how an organization supports products as a whole, the systems, the processes, and cultures in place that help companies deliver value to their customers. With the help of some boundary-pushing guests and inspiration from your most pressing product questions, we'll dive into this system from every angle and help you think like a great product leader. This is the Product Thinking Podcast. Here's your host, Melissa Perry. Hello, and welcome to another, and the last of 2023, episode of the Product Thinking Podcast. What a year 2023 has been. It does not feel like Silicon Valley Bank's collapse and the takeover of OpenAI happened in the same year, but it did. We got ChatGPT this year. It has been wild. What a year in tech. We've been reflecting on the great insights and all the happenings of tech and all the stories we've heard from amazing product leaders here at the Product Thinking Podcast. And today we wanted to pull together a look back at some of our most memorable segments for you in this best of episode. We're going to first kick it off with Blake Samick, the head of product operations at OpenAI, who spoke all about setting up product operations during his time at Uber and Stripe. Denise and I featured Blake in our new book, Product Operations, because he's an expert at scaling this new discipline. When Stripe first called me, my initial mind was like, I don't know if product ops makes sense there. It's not exactly how I've been thinking about it in the Uber days. But then as I got to talking with them and just understanding where they were, how they were set up and how they brought products to market, how they dealt with feedback, I was like, oh, actually, there are a lot of similarities to the problems that they're seeing as it relates to just scaling tech companies types of problems. I think it just naturally puts pressure on the connection between your product teams and your kind of more go-to-market or compliance teams as you're shipping more things in parallel, you're hiring more employees, you have more of this feedback coming back through weird channels that no one is kind of like streamlining and standardizing. And, and so that all just sounded very similar. And the company was expanding globally. They didn't have presence in every city like Uber did, but certainly in many different countries, many HQs and different regions and things like that. Another similarity I'd say is that both companies, super ambitious, like product and engineering, they want to ship a high quality product. Stripe in particular, I think just like has a huge high quality bar. So a lot of similarities. And I think there are many similarities to how I thought about setting up product ops and some differences. Did you know I have a course for product managers that you could take? It's called Product Institute. Over the past seven years, I've been working with individuals, teams, and companies to upskill their product chops through my fully online school. We have an ever-growing list of courses to help you work through your current product dilemma. Visit productinstitute.com and learn to think like a great product manager. Use code THINKING to save $200 at checkout on our premier course, Product Management Foundations. Keeping with our product operations theme, our next highlight is my conversation with Hubert Palin, the founder and CEO of Product Board, where we delved into the standardization of product management and how the product operations function creates consistency, which is vital to our success. We are going to see much more standardization of the product management process, especially at large teams and companies. You know, if you look at sales, if you look at customer success, if you look at engineering, there's like very defined and well understood methodologies that you know everybody follows. Right, your your sales team, every sales rep has the same set of 
pipeline stages to push the opportunities through and they need to follow the same methodology for the head of sales to have a reliable forecast. If you look at engineering and you want to measure, you know, whatever backlog, you know, burn down charts, velocity and so on, like you need to have consistency in how people define the stories and the story points again. And we've been somehow in this world where the product managers and the product teams historically have lived in this like don't dictate the way you're working and let everybody use their own tools and kind of don't interfere with the genie in innovation bottle the magic that can happen <laughs> in, in the teams. And if you look at it from the perspective of a head of product who has 20, 50, 100, you know, product teams at large companies, is just a complete craziness because there's no consistency in how the decision decisions are made, how to look at the the portfolio of like you have these teams that you're investing it's an investment portfolio and how do you decide what efforts to put where you have no visibility you have no consistency and so on and so we're seeing that does the rise of product operations function right does the rise of the need for a more rigorous approach to product management as a process and that doesn't mean that the individual product teams like don't you know product managers right can't have their own criteria but there needs to be like a centralized standardized thing and so i do believe that we will see more of that because of the need for predictability and kind of leadership of the product organization as a whole product management can happen in many different ways at all these different companies and jason fried the founder and ceo of 37 signals has been one of the pioneers in speaking about how they do product management on his episode, he outlined how they ensure that product teams remain fresh and relevant without getting stuck in the details. We work on what we call six-week cycles. So we have a, we've, we've invented this system called ShapeUp. We won't work on anything that takes longer than six weeks. A whole product might be a series of six-week cycles, but no feature will take more than six weeks. So we don't have to be so precious about what we choose to do because we're going to be able to pick another thing to do in six weeks. If you plan so far in advance, like we're going to lay out the roadmap for the next two years just putting this huge amount of stress on yourself and indecision and you're locking yourself in to not being able to change. I, I'm not a big fan of that. So I, we're not really precious about the things we choose to do. If we get to it now, great. If we get to it in October, great. If we get to it until next February, fine, whatever. We'll get to it eventually when we feel like it's the right thing to do. I feel like that six weeks just made a bunch of scrum people panic. Don't care. This is the key. So the scrum, like it's like two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, as long as it takes, but two weeks at a time. No. Six weeks is the most anything can take for us. And we only have two people working on it, one programmer, one designer. Two people have six weeks max. And most of the time it's like a week or two or three, but these are complete ideas and they need to ship at the end of that. This idea that you keep working in two week sprints forever, like what's the point of that? I don't get it. Are you eager to dive into the world of angel investing? I was too, but I wasn't sure how to get started. I knew I could evaluate the early stage companies from a product standpoint, but I didn't know much about the financial side. This is why I joined Hustle Fund's Angel Squad. They don't just bring you opportunities to invest in early stage companies, they provide an entire education on how professional investors think about which companies to fund. Product leaders make fantastic angel investors. And if you're interested in joining me at Angel Squad, you can learn more at hustlefund.vc MP. Find the link in our show notes. In product management, we talk repeatedly about the importance of soft skills, which Glenn Stoffel and Karen Fried from Camp 4 call tough skills. They came on the show together to discuss exactly what these skills are and how product managers can hone them. 
because I think within there is a really interesting place to explore. And as you're growing in from product manager towards a CPO, say, if I were to advise companies around the planet, the one skill they're probably not investing in that they should be, it's facilitation. And oftentimes, strong product people have great visions, really strong opinions. They can see where the dots connect. They can have a great vision for how that customer experience is going to work, how that employee experience is going to work. But you can get caught in a trap of control versus collaboration. Even when attacked in a meeting, you would tip your head and you would feel something for them because you understand where they're coming from. You don't agree with their behavior, but you do understand where they're coming from. And that change is difficult, that this is scary. I wouldn't necessarily have a therapy session with them right then and there, but when you're coming from an empathetic place, your reaction and your mode, I think, changes a lot. Becoming a chief product officer can be a roller coaster of a ride. Stephanie Liu's episode was great to understand the fundamentals of becoming a CPO, and it also highlighted the necessity of prioritizing people, process, purpose, and performance. It was March. It was my first day. And what we did is we released a new platform. So we had customers on two different platforms. We merged them. It was a big, massive project. We released it the day I joined, and then we went down for two days. So that was my kickstart with Doodle, actually. I got promoted to CPO in October. I was convinced that we have to transition that whole organization into a product-led organization and that we are not allowed at all to repeat the mistakes from the past, but that as of this point, we only release or deprecate things once we have data and once we have customer feedback and once we've done discovery. So I focused on four key areas, which helped me to also structure the 10,000 things ahead of me. I focused on people, purpose, process, and performance. And that's how I evaluated the organization. So I looked on the purpose side. Has this organization a vision and a strategy? Does everyone know why they are working on certain things and the, how they help us to achieve success? Well, the answer back then was no. Process. If I ask five different people, will they be able to explain me how we build products at Doodle? And is it a coherent story? I can tell you it wasn't. People, do they have clarity? Do we have the right roles? Do the people have a clear understanding of their responsibilities? Do they collaborate well? Obviously, that was like potentially the best area of all of the four areas, but also there was room for improvement. And I always tell my teams that only if these three things are in place and if I have a proper setup for my teams, then I can also expect performance. Performance always comes last. I discussed with everyone, got their feedback, evaluated it, and then I created a Kanban board for myself with like all the actions I think we have to take in order to make progress. Last but not least, we had Tom Eisenman on our show to talk all about how startups fail so that you can avoid that. There's three early stage failure patterns in the book and three late stage. And by early stage, I mean essentially pre-product market fit and late stage, you've got product market fit, we hope, and you're scaling. You may be scaling without product market fit, and that's one of the, it's actually one of the failure patterns. A lot of startups fall into one of these six patterns. Some have the misfortune of, of actually hitting more than one of them. That's surefire prescription for getting into trouble. The early stage patterns are false start, bad bedfellows, 
and false positives. Then there's a whole failure that comes from scaling and trying to actually grow. Yeah, and a lot of, a lot of PMs will be in an organization that um, will sound suspiciously similar to what I'm about to talk about. Three patterns here are speed trap. That's the number one killer of late stage startup. The second one is help wanted. And then the last pattern is cascading miracles, where somebody's doing something audaciously big and bold. Think Tesla, think SpaceX. So sometimes these things work, but often with a cascading miracle, so many things have to happen correctly. And if any one of them goes wrong, you need all the things to go right. And it's a miracle if they all go right. And there we have it, a recap of some of our top pieces of wisdom from top product leaders. We hope you enjoyed this year of the Product Thinking Podcast, and we cannot wait to see you in 2024. Remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode on Wednesday. And also reach out to me and let me know what questions you have for our Dear Melissa segment. We would love to hear from you in the new year. Happy New Year, and we'll see you next year.